Yashodanandana Braja Janaranjana Yamuna Tira Panachari Yamuna Tira Panachari Jai Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jai Gopi Janabalaba Get it by the tardy. Go be Janabalaba. Get it by the tardy. Yasoda Nandana Braja Janaranjana Yasoda Nandana Braja Janaranjana Yamunatira Vanachari Yamunatira Vanachari Chayorad Amadava Kunjabi Hari Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna, Hare Krishna, 
Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Jayam Vishnupams of Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Srimad Bhagavatam 7th Canto, Chapter 4, Text 8 Devo Jnana Sri Adrushtam Adhyaste smatri pishtapam Mahendra babanam sakshan Nirmitam vishpakarmana Trilokya lakshmya yatanam Adyubhasha kilard dimat Devodhyana Sriya Drushtam Adhyaste Smatri Pishtapam Mahendra Bhavanam Sakshan Nimitam Vishvakarmana Trilokya Lakshmiya Yatanam Ajuvasa Kilard Dumat Devodhyana Sri Adrushtam 
Adhyaste smatri pishtapam Mahendra Babanam Sakshan Nimitam Vishvakarmana Trilokya Lakshmiya Yatanam Ajuvasa Kilard Dimat Vaishnavis, Deva Udhyana of the famous Garden of the Demigods. Shriya by the opulences. Jushtam enriched. Adhyastesma remained in. Tripishtapam the higher planetary system where various demigods live. Mahendra Bhavanam, the palace of Indra, the king of heaven. Sakshat, directly. Nirmitam, constructed. Vishvakarmana, by the famous architect of the demigods, Vishvakarma. Chailokya of the three worlds. Lakshmi Ayatanam, 
the residence of the goddess of fortune. Ajuvasa lived in. Akila Ritimat. Possessing the opulence of the entire universe. Hiranyakashipu, who possessed all opulence, began residing in heaven with its famous Nandana garden, which is enjoyed by the demigods. In fact, he resided in the most opulent palace of Indra, the king of heaven. The palace had been directly constructed by the demigod architect Vishvakarma and was as beautifully made as if the goddess of fortune of the entire universe resided there. Purport. <clears throat> From this description, it appears that all the heavenly planets of the upper planetary system are thousands upon thousands of times more opulent than the lower planetary system in which we live. Vishrakarma, the famous heavenly architect, is known as the constructor of many wonderful buildings in the upper planets, where there are not only beautiful buildings, but also many opulent gardens and parks, which are described as Nandana Devodhyana. Gardens quite fit to be enjoyed by the demigods. This description of the upper planetary system and its opulences is to be understood from authoritative scriptures like the Vedic literatures, telescopes, and other imperfect instruments of scientists are inadequate for evaluating the upper planetary system. Although such instruments are needed because the vision of the so-called scientists is imperfect, the instruments themselves are also imperfect. Therefore, the upper planets cannot be appraised by imperfect men using imperfect man-made instruments. Direct information received from the Vedic literature, however, is perfect. We therefore cannot accept the statement that there are no opulent residences on planets other than this earth. Translation again. Hiranyakashipu, who possessed all opulence, began residing in heaven with its famous Nandana garden, which is enjoyed by the demigods. In fact, he resided in the most opulent palace of Indra, the king of heaven. The palace had been directly constructed by the demigod architect Vishvakarma and was as beautifully made as if the goddess of fortune of the entire universe resided there. Om Jnana Timarandasya Gananjana Shalakaya Chakshon Militang Yena Tazmai Shri Gurave Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nitananda Shri Advaita Gradha Shri Vasadi Gaura Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. How can you deny that there is an upper planetary system? 
Just because the facilities for enjoyment are thousands upon thousands of times greater than what earthlings are familiar with, doesn't mean that such descriptions of the heavenly planets are mythological. You see, if you're actually a real materialist, you want to enjoy materially now, in this life, as well as in the next life. But as I several times have explained, to call people today materialists is quite a compliment. <laughs> because they have no idea how to enjoy now or in the future. <laughs> Even if you want to give them credit for having a few happy moments now, in this lifetime, they have no idea of how to increase or even maintain their happiness in the next life. Therefore, as I said, it's a great honor that's improperly bestowed upon them by your calling them materialists. A materialist means one who's expert at enjoying the senses, the temporary material senses. Someone who is dedicated, who's fully focused at squeezing out a few microscopic drops of water from a towel that's completely dry. You can just see you have a towel that's totally dry and you wring it, you squeeze it, squeeze it. And if you can just get one or two drops of water to come from that dry towel, you think, just see what I've done. <laughs> there was water there. <laughs> I have proved it. So this is what it's like when we engage in our determined struggle to apply the material senses to the material sense objects and in that way be happy. We have to struggle. We have to work so hard for the privilege, for the burden. And it's that burden that Lord Brahma indirectly warned Hiranyakashipu about. We should keep in mind that although Hiranyakashipu is so powerful beyond our material conceptions, still he was angry and dissatisfied. I like where in one purport, Srila Prabhupada explains that Hiranyakashipu is a prime example of the dissatisfied state of humanity. He had it all, but he was still dissatisfied. And what would you say to that? Well, just give us a tiny drop of what he had and we'll certainly be satisfied, right? But the material energy doesn't work in that way. It promises you, do this, get that, and you'll be satisfied. But the delivery never comes. Or if the delivery comes, the goods are damaged. So when we look at Hiranyakashipu, we should not become totally bewildered by his extraordinary power. Even in human history on the earth, there have been extraordinarily powerful individuals 
for a short time. Great autocrats, dictators, they're celebrated for a short time only. They show some temporary ability to have power and control, and then they're gone. Just like the 20th century for human beings on the Earth planet was considered to be so advanced. But yet within one generation, there were two massive world wars. And all the time, besides those two massive world wars, you have so many conflicts, revolutions, local wars going on. Yet human beings think, oh, we have achieved the pinnacle of advancement. Just like the famous Winston Churchill, who supposedly guided Europe through the darkness of World War II and came out victorious. <laughs> One Australian diplomat who, during World War II, flew to London to discuss with Winston Churchill came back to Australia and gave his report. And one of the things he said, it's been documented, he said, to call that man an alcoholic would be a lie. No alcoholic drinks that much. <laughs> this is the great hero. And then, upon the great celebration of Victory Europe Day, VE Day, when thousands upon thousands of people gathered in Trafalgar Square in London to hear the first victorious address by the Prime Minister, Mr. Churchill. Thousands of people celebrating the war is over, the war in Europe is over. And so what happened? Winston Churchill, he ascends to the podium, looking out over the square, thousands of persons, and announces, our enemies lay prostrate before us. Hail Britannica. Two weeks later, he was out of office. <laughs> One minute, so powerful. Next minute, gone. <laughs> I remember in the former East Germany, known as the Democratic, the German Democratic Republic, which was one of the biggest prison camps ever, the whole country. So I spent a lot of time there during the Soviet days. And so they had a big celebration in East Berlin to celebrate the existence of the communist state, the German Democratic Republic. And thousands of people were gathered in the square and they had a candlelight march showing their solidarity with the regime. It was meant to be a great public demonstration of the longevity of the communist state and its godlessness. And so the prime minister, I hated him because he caused so much suffering for the very few devotees there at the time. The prime minister makes an announcement. Our nation, 
the German Democratic Republic. Democratic. It's been shown one out of every six persons in that country was employed by the secret police. <laughs> one out of every six. You couldn't get away with anything. <laughs> so he made an announcement at the big rally. Thousands of marchers with candlelight celebrating the regime. He said, our nation will be here forever. Two weeks later, the Berlin well, the wall fell, and that was the end of that. <laughs> so even though we don't have anyone as strong as Haranyakashipu, still you can adjust the scale and see the same mentality. That's why Srila Prabhupada would always speak about how the demons of the present age are so small time. Krishna doesn't need to come to terminate them. They terminate themselves. <laughs> <coughs> and as far as their empire, <coughs> one, or <coughs> one strong wind, too much rain, a flood, an earthquake, everything is gone. <laughs> but because human beings are naturally attracted to opulence, to power, they become so impressed by these momentary occurrences in history. Ultimately, you can, you can trace that attractiveness for power back to Bhagavan. Purna Bhagavan is Krishna, full, complete in all opulences. That's why, as you read in the beginning of Krishna book, there has never been anyone to compare with Krishna. You've seen a little speck of opulence here, speck of opulence there, but you've never seen unlimited opulence. Sadaishvarya Purna, all six categories of opulences, Krishna is unlimitedly, infinitely deep in. So therefore, forgetting Krishna, or considering Krishna to be mythological, or a concept, we're left with just meditating on these small-time demons of Kali Yuga. How did they get so powerful? Historians pull their hair trying to figure it out. How did the people put such a leader in power? How did people follow such a leader? On and on the pages of history go. And the same thing happens again and again. People fall victim to such unqualified leaders because people are mesmerized by the power of such leaders temporarily before, they, before the people themselves drag such leaders down. <laughs> well, this is the way it works in Kali Yuga. So you're seeing the same power principle in Hiranyakashipu just on a much bigger scale. Instead of controlling an East Germany or con controlling a Russia or the USA or an Australia, Hiranyakashipu is controlling the whole universe, even the powers of nature. Only Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu were not under his control. So you might think, well, this is hard for me to accept, but you're just dealing with the basic power principle, and because of Hiranyakashipu's 
austerities, he achieved such unparalleled material power. Remember the benedictions that he got from Lord Brahma? But you may not remember that Lord Brahma warned him, these benedictions, they're quite onerous, they're quite heavy. But anyway, you, you, you did your austerities, so I give them to you. I'm infallible in giving the benedictions. Once you've done the work, you've done the incomparable austerities. All right, I grant you those benedictions that you can't be killed this way, you can't be killed that way. All the little kids know the benedictions, right? You know the benedictions given by Brahma to Haranyakashipu? You've been in plays where you acted them out? Yes. <laughs> but do you remember Brahma's warning? A very gentle, indirect warning that these benedictions are difficult to bear. You know, you, you may wonder, how could that be? Benedictions are benedictions. Give me some benedictions. But just think of the life, the lives of famous persons, politicians, athletes, movie stars, entertainers. They commit suicide. They all, oh, so many of them confess to being so miserable in spite of their fame, in spite of their opulence and power. Maybe you wonder, why is that so? And in your heart, you're thinking, just give me their opulences. I'll have no problem. <laughs> just because they don't know how to handle it, that's different than if I had such opulence. When will Krishna give me such, op such opulence? Think of it in this way. I like this example given by an acharya. I believe it was Ramanuja Acharya. He said, consider fame and power to be like a heavy jeweled umbrella. You're in the hot sun and then someone hands you a jeweled umbrella and you put it over your head and you feel relief. Ah, this is pleasure. This is nice. And so you walk carrying the umbrella, but that umbrella is heavy because it's loaded with jewels. So even though you felt pleasure by having the umbrella over your head, it's a difficult solution because you have to carry it and the jewels make it heavy. So similarly, material opulence is like that. If you've ever, and I don't think you've done this, if you've ever studied the, the lives of lottery winners, anyone here done that? <laughs> You'd be shocked how many of them cursed the day they won $200 million in the lottery. They cursed the day. Because the, it's a hard burden to bear. Some of them commit suicide. They say you never know who your friends are now. How many persons are friendly with you just because of your money? How many are real friends? And often they don't know what to do with their money and so they're surrounded by cheaters. Invest your money in this way. I've got a surefire investment plan for you. <laughs> and so they end up just blowing all their money, killing themselves. 
because the benediction was too heavy to bear. This is what Lord Brahma is warning Hiranyakashipu about. All right, granted this, granted that, granted the other, but these benedictions can be difficult to tolerate. Because it's one thing to get the benediction, but it's another thing to maintain the benediction. Just like persons who are famous are very sensitive about their fame. It's, there's never enough fame. <laughs> and there's never enough money. <laughs> the thought, the habit is there that you always have to have more money and more money and more money. And the more money you get, the more secure you are, so you're never satisfied. Also because you can't be peaceful knowing someone has more money than you. Someone has more property investments than you. <laughs> someone lives in Albert Park and you only live in St. Kilda. <laughs> There's always someone who has more. And of course, this more and more and more affects householders, even our grihastas, to some degree. You have to keep up the family prestige. <laughs> and then when you go back to India to visit your relatives, as I often explain, you have to deal with their expectations. Oh, you're in Australia. You've been there five years and you're not CEO yet? <laughs> you, you don't own 10 houses yet? <laughs> so you have to maintain your prestige. Oh yes, everything is fine. Advancing up through the ranks to the top post. <laughs> Meeting social expectations becomes such a burden. So Haranikashipu has been warned by Brahma, but of course, Hiranyakashipu doesn't understand it. He just wants more, more, more. And he has more than anyone in the universe except Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, but he's still not satisfied. Why? Because he cannot control his mind and senses. He actually doesn't know how to be content. Contentment is not acquired by grabbing this, grabbing that, doing this indulgence, that indulgence. Contentment is acquired on its own. The acquirement of real contentment in bhakti is acquired by the bhakti process, not by getting this material thing or that material achievement. So people make the mistake, especially in Kali Yuga, of thinking, when I get this, I'll be content. When I do that, I'll be content. When I get this situation, I'll be content. No. You need knowledge, control of the mind and senses, and of course, without attachment for Krishna, you'll be like a boat without an anchor 
tossed on the stormy seas. So the human being should be content, but where is the knowledge, the true knowledge of contentment? As Krishna explains in the fourth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, how can there be happiness without your being peaceful? And in order for you to be peaceful, you have to have knowledge and you have to know how to control your mind and senses. So where is the human institution that's actually teaching human beings to be content? So back to the upper planets and their reality. Even if you go around Melbourne, you'll see areas of different opulence. There's the Nandana Garden in the heavenly planets enjoyed by the demigods. Then in Melbourne, there's Albert Park. <laughs> but there's also council housing, right? Those tall towers. <laughs> Very drab looking. So you could be living in this country. You could be living in Syria or Turkey amidst the earthquakes. You could be living in... Pakistan. <laughs> so how is it that there's so many varieties of living places? The same principle applies throughout the universe. Now, several times in this chapter, Prabhupada is making the point that just because you can't see life on other planets doesn't mean the life is not there. There is no doubt that there'll come a time in human existence when this notion that only Earth has life will be, will be considered so infantile, so ignorant. When you think about it, it makes no sense. Only the Earth planet amidst the countless abodes in the universe, only the Earth planet has life. If you cling to that dogmatic faith, how will you ever understand this chapter in which you hear about opulence far beyond human conception, but it's still all material opulence? Sometimes in earthling history, just like you, you read about what happened in Thailand, no, uh, Sri Lanka. The people made an a, uprising and they stormed the government mansions of the, was it the prime minister or something? One of their leaders, president or prime minister. So the people, thousands of people stormed the mansions and they were shocked at the opulence they found inside. <laughs> you would think that they had stormed the palace of Indra, which Haranyakashipu did. But even though it was just a tiny speck of the opulence of Indra's abode, no comparison, people were astonished. This is how that guy was living. <laughs> and they would take photos of themselves reclining on the huge bed of the of the, the president and it's selfies you know 
going from one swimming pool to another. Oh, this is what's really going on while the people are suffering. <laughs> they couldn't believe what they encountered. So you could say the same thing about Indra's opulence that Hiranyakashipu is appropriating. I can't believe it. <laughs> the Nandana Gardens, the palace directly constructed by Vishwakarma was as beautifully made as if the goddess of fortune of the entire universe resided there. I don't know about that. So you're just like the, the political demonstrators once they storm the government buildings. It's happened not only in Sri Lanka, it's happened in other countries too. Let's get in there, let's see what's really going on because during normal times they can't get past the, the fences, the walls, the, the police force, the security force. But then when thousands of them storm the, the mansion of the leader and they get inside, they're like, wow, unbelievable. <laughs> so everything is just about scale. The puny opulence of human beings is nothing compared to the opulence of the heavenly planets. Haranikashipu has all that and more. He's actually controlling all the three worlds. Even the functions of nature are going on out of fear of Haranikashipu. But he's still dissatisfied. And he still doesn't understand Brahma's warning. These benedictions, they can be very difficult to handle. In fact, those benedictions destroy Haranikashipu. Finally, what about Banasura? Who knows about Banasura? Yes, tell me about Banasura. Yeah, he's a demon, yes. His very name says that, Banasura. Yeah, he, he was one of the demoniac kings, yes. He had thousands of arms, why? Yes, he pleased Lord Shiva. But what was his psychology, even though he had those thousands of arms? He always wanted to fight with someone. Why? Why was he always wanting to fight with someone? He wanted an opponent who would actually give him a battle. He had a thousand arms, so everyone stayed away from him. <laughs> he had all that power, but he couldn't use it. So if you've read the Krishna book, you remember how Prabhupada describes. Vanasura had this itching in his thousand arms because he couldn't do anything with those arms. He complained to Lord Shiva who gave him the benediction. In his complaint to Lord Shiva, Banasura was actually implying, I've got no one to fight with, maybe I should fight with you, <laughs> the giver of the benediction. And what was Lord Shiva thinking? I should kill you. <laughs> but. You work so hard for these benedictions 
So Lord Shiva told him, you will meet with an opponent who will vanquish you. You'll meet a suitable opponent. And what was Banasura's reaction? Do you know? You, you, you don't read those parts of Krishna book. Why was he very happy? Even though, but yes, he was happy to hear that from Shiva, even though the end result would be he'd be, he'd be dead. He said, but I can, I, I can fight. I can relieve this itching in my arms. I can smash things and cause havoc. Because what was he doing? Be, when he was incapable of finding a suitable opponent, he was using his thousand arms to smash mountains. <laughs> so when he heard from Lord Shiva, there'll be someone who's a suitable opponent who I can fight. He didn't care. Banasura didn't care he was going to die. He just thought, I can do my thing. <laughs> and this is like human society today. You can talk to them about climate disruption. You can talk to them about the nuclear warfare threat. They don't care. Just we want to do our thing. The banks may fail. The government's in tumult. But we have a chance to do our thing. We can make our own stage. <laughs> it's the same principle. Never mind that if the planet heats up beyond a certain point, there'll be suffering for millions upon millions of persons. Never mind that. I want my chance. This self-destructiveness, the Banasur principle, is there today. People don't know what to do with themselves. They're like, I've got brains, I've got energy, what do I do? <laughs> How much more money can I make? How much more property investments? Of course, if you make money and investments for Krishna, that's a different category. But the Hiranyakashipu principle is more for me, more for me. You would think that although Harandikashipu got so much unprecedented power and control, you'd think he'd be peaceful. Okay, I got it. It's mine. It's in the pocket. No. He still maintained an all-consuming desire to get revenge against Vishnu. Teaching you something about the nature of a conditioned soul. If someone... If you feel someone's wronged you, you just must strike back. You must get revenge. <laughs> just like when there are marital disputes ending in divorce. Regardless of who's at fault, I remember reading one Australian lady giving advice because now, you know what the cutting edge occupation in Australia is? In case any of you are wanting job security. <laughs> the cutting edge occupation is to be a divorce coach. <laughs> Just like you have lifestyle coaches. <laughs> now the cutting edge field is a divorce coach. Someone who will hold your hand and give you confidence as you go through your divorce. <laughs> So one 
one person taking advantage of the divorce coach tutelage, counseling, mentoring, gave her conclusion. And when you leave him, don't get angry, get everything. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> this is the climate we live in today, whether male, female, whatever. No one has any idea that even if they get the opulence that Hiranyakashipu achieved, they'll not be peaceful, they'll not be content, and they'll still become absorbed in anger, revenge, and in this way destroy themselves. All right, any questions? Yes. Hare Krishna Maharaj, please accept my respectful obeisances. Thank you for the wonderful class. Um, my question was, just as um, Hiranyakashipu was seeking for a lot of opulence and a lot of fame and a lot of power for his own sense gratification, but in the op opposite, when a devotee desires for a lot of money, let's say if a devotee desires for like one million dollars to build a temple, does that still have a tinge of fame or power or the desire for money attached to it? Maybe, but at least he or she is sacrificing the results for Krishna. And by doing so, by endeavoring to give the results to Krishna, the person practicing bhakti yoga becomes purified of all motivations, all material motivations, and more and more the desire for simply satisfying the senses of Krishna becomes predominant. What you're asking about is also the difference between karma yoga and bhakti yoga. Karma yoga means you're attached to acting in a certain way, but you give the results, you sacrifice the results for Krishna. Yajnavai Vishnu. Bhakti yoga in the fullest sense means you're not attached to the results and you're not attached to the activity. Whatever Krishna wants, however Krishna wants it. So karma yoga, as I often explain, is nothing for most devotees to look down upon. <laughs> oh, I'm still attached to money making so I shouldn't give anything to Krishna because I'm still attached to making money. <laughs> By engaging in Krishna's service, we all become purified. Just like I could be thinking, by my speaking Bhagavatam class, when I leave the room, everyone will... <laughs> so does that mean I should stop speaking Bhagavatam? No, by my doing so, I'll be purified, gradually. So the whole point is, Engage in devotional service. How else are you going to become purified if you don't engage in service? If you hold back thinking, oh, I have some material motives, some ulterior motives. I want appreciation from the devotees. I want some status in the Melbourne congregation. When devotees look at me and they realize how a powerful bhakta I am, 
They call me Prabhu, even though they don't fully understand my glories. <laughs> I'm on this committee, that committee. I have this title, that title, and property investments, too. <laughs> so what should we do? Say, no, you can't do any service? It's the service that will purify them. And by their regularly hearing Srimad Bhagavatam, they'll start to understand the difference between pure motivations and impure motivations. But Krishna must be served. All right? Thank you, Maharaj. Yes? Hare Krishna Maharaj. Uh, <clears throat> in, our, in our devotional service, you know, often we are held back because of our um, maybe not having enough intelligence or strength or wealth or whatever. And uh, in that case, is it okay for us to ask Krishna for these benedictions, for give us a greater empowerment for a greater service? For Krishna's service, you can ask and then be grateful for whatever you get. Yes, I need more intelligence. I need more physical strength to engage in Krishna's service. But you should know that devotional service can go on in any circumstance. But for Krishna's pleasure, you can ask for more personal strength and intelligence. But when you think you don't have it, that doesn't mean your service should stop. <laughs> I asked Krishna for more intelligence. He hasn't given it to me yet, so therefore, that. <laughs> Let me sleep. <laughs> okay, there's three in the back next to each other. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Maharaj, you were mentioning about karma yoga which, in which a person is attached to doing certain type of activities and then they offer some result. So how do we understand where we say that we must serve Krishna based on our natural abilities or our inclinations? So, and then whatever devotee goes through grow in devotional life, then they naturally find what is the best way they serve Krishna. So is it something similar to Karma Yoga or it is still... Yes. Ideally, we should engage our natural propensities and talents in Krishna's service. But sometimes there are situations in which we have to act in a different way. But generally, it's best for developing devotees to serve Krishna according to their propensity. Just like everyone knows, Arjuna Saka is someone you can turn to to get things done. <laughs> right? <laughs> he keeps the ship steady. <laughs> So, he's, that's an ability he's using in Krishna's service. But, suppose he's asked to do something that may not seem to be in accordance with his natural material tendencies. Does that mean he says, nope? 
sometimes we all have to do services that we think are different than our material or psychophysical nature. But generally, the principle is there that for devotees to make peaceful advancement in bhakti, they should act according to their physical talents and propensities. That's why Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Chaturvarnamayastristam gunakarma vibhagasa. Four basic propensities, intellectual, managemental, mercantile, and labor. But one problem is that in the age of Kali, all that's jumbled up in people. <laughs> Still, Krishna's system is the best system. It's Krishna's material system, Varnashram Dharma. That's why we can't give it up. We can't ignore it. We have to keep thinking about it. How does it apply to the Society for Krishna Consciousness? All right. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you for coming. You knew about Banasura? Ha, <laughs>